millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Derek. <laughs> and I'm Ray. I'm Alex Reed. Okay, well, welcome back to another episode of... Mostly Mostly Welcome to Mostly Lit. Welcome to this special mini-sode. That is a terrible word. I'm so sorry. <laughs> of Mostly Lit. Um, with us behind the scenes at the Times and Sunday Times Cheltenham Literature Festival, where we attended a few weeks ago as the first podcast in residence for the festival. How did you guys find it? Oh, the festival was great. Yeah. Um, loads, loads of wind. Girl. I don't understand. But um <laughs> the, the tent nearly blew off. Yeah, there's so many yeah. times the tent nearly just flew off when we were when we were trying to talk. Remember we were at the a collar event. Yeah. And it's like the ancestors were coming, boys. The they were, were like coming. rattled. Because he was rattling a whole lot of people <laughs> in the car. When we talked to Matt Haig, he dropped he dropped a one liner and then the door blew <laughs> open. <laughs> Literally, oh my gosh. <laughs> the door blew open. The ancestors were strong yeah. in that place. But yeah, it was good. They turned um, out for us. It was good, you know, loads of books, obviously. Yeah. Loads of people. Loads in, of wine. In, loads of wine. Free wine. Loads of people in residence. Loads of people just there. It was just so cool to see people that we talk about just like standing next to yeah. us or yeah. like sitting down. You're mm-hmm. like, oh shit, that's Fam, that I bumped person. into Richard Curtis. I yeah. couldn't believe it. Yeah, I didn't even say sorry because I was so nervous. No, I remember like I was standing in the queue to get some food. Uh, not standing in the queue, I was standing aside waiting for the waitress to give me something. Yeah. And he was behind me, he's like, are you in the queue? And I'm like, no, I'm just waiting for the waitress. He's like, oh, so you're literally just standing here. And I was looking at him like, you know what? Because you wrote Love Actually, yeah. Love Actually. Or not Notting Hill. Or, the, you know what I mean? Because you wrote that, I'm, it's cool, isn't it? Like, it's fine. I can I'm, give you I'm, this. I'm going to shake off that tone. It's yeah. fine. But <laughs> otherwise, yeah, it was really weird being in um, being in that space. So, But yeah, it was really good. So shout out to yeah. the festival. Yeah. And what events did you guys get up to? Like, Oh, yeah. Doing? So did the, I know um, you did I did else. a turning books into your passion or yeah. passion in digital space something like that with um mm. simon savage who did who does savage reads um youtube and jen campbell who yeah. does her youtube channel mm-hmm. and that was like that was chaired by sarah shafi and that was really interesting yeah. it was really interesting it was really dope everybody had a lot to say about the books they read when they grew up when mm-hmm. they're growing up etc um i'm kind of gutted i didn't do one now. yeah it was it was fun yeah it was fun kind of guy yeah but, but i know ray ray won anyway i yeah. probably wouldn't have won <laughs> yeah, you, yeah i wouldn't even lie i probably wouldn't have won did you use any of the, the the material i gave you 
I don't remember. So Ray did. Ray did. Um, <laughs> I, I actually don't remember. What? Ray did. Um, oh my god. Yeah. So I did the um, a panel, the man booker, the child and man booker panel, which um, essentially there was a, a series of books chosen, uh, published in the year 1958, and you had to. Um, defend the book or champion the book that you would have liked uh, to win should uh, the man booker have existed in 1958. And I had to champion um, Chinua Achebe's Things Fall Apart. And light work. She made light work of it. Mm-hmm. And it was Honestly. fantastic. It light was really work. great. There was a lot of crowd. Loads, loads, of, uh, loads of crowd. Very older people. Very old. Yeah. Very old. It was a mature crowd. Um, it was a mature crowd. Yes. We're not ageists. Uh, yes, we do have a pensioner here with us. But you can't be uh, ageist. Yeah. Um, Who's she talking about? I know she ain't talking about me. <laughs> She's talking about my spirit. <laughs> She's talking about return to sender. Uh, return to sender. Um, but yeah, so that was really fun. And I got to reread um, um, things. Well, I remember when I was rereading it and at the end and I was sat with you before planning it yeah. and I was She was so, proper going in. Like, she had all her notes so everything. I was so excited. I was like, shit, like this ending is Dope, you Alex. actually got the easiest book to do. Yeah, Let's yeah. Be, yeah. Because like, the other books are just absolutely I mean... <laughs> Breakfast of Tiffany's easily ripped apart. Yeah. Oh, the, what was Our the man name? in Havana easily ripped man, apart. Man, yeah, that was quite easy to rip apart. But the, it, bell. It got, the bell was hard because people were really like, because oh, man, Iris, the bell. Yeah, because Iris Murder can write. Yeah. yeah she, yeah, she can write. Mm. And she's a philosopher as well. So yeah. her books I are full of ideas. I think maybe I should read more of her stuff. You should read Under the Net. I've got that, is, I've got that There is this heaviness that I, I, you know, like Zadie Smith, I haven't read her work, but people just talk about her so much mm. and there's just so much description and shit that it's kind of like, I don't want to read her stuff because it's just so heavy. No, but you, you'll definitely like, read Under the Net and then read The Sea to Sea, which mm. she actually won the man book yeah, for. Yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got that as well. Yeah. I've got all of that. Okay, so. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I got, yeah, yeah, I yeah, asked yeah, Penguin yeah, to send yeah, you yeah, the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. so we need to read those. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Anyway, but yeah. so, um, yeah, so for our first, like, kind of behind the scenes look, we spoke to a uh, man like Matt Haig um, about reasons to stay alive, how to stop time, no, notes on a nervous planet. Um, and yeah, so have a listen to that. Okay. Welcome, welcome, Matt. Hello. Sitting here with Matt Heague at the moment. How's everything going, Matt? It's really good. I mean, it's incredibly windy today. Yeah. So I did an event, in a, a panel event in quite a small tent, and it, it felt like it was, um, you know, we were going to do the whole Wizard of Oz and just go up in the <laughs> whirlwind. But we're still in Kansas. Dorothy. So yeah. we're, it's fine. Yeah, it's quite frightening. It's like a mighty tree outside. It's just kind of like yeah, in the face. But otherwise, generally, yeah, generally good. Yeah. What's a British so, book festival without a bit of wind? No, exactly. Wind. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And a chill. marquee flapping. Yeah, very so, picturesque. So how was your panel? It was good. I've got, a, like, my main event is in about 40 minutes' time. Mm. But that the panel was nice. It was... Uh, Scarlett Curtis has written a, a book called um, Feminists Don't Wear Pink, but it wasn't about that. It was about the books that had saved your life. Mm. So I was talking about books that had saved What's the, what's my the book life. that oh, saved your no life? There was no one book. I was really rubbish because I was really trying to think and try and give an honest answer. But when I was ill, when I was 24, I, I found it really hard to read. So yeah. what I used to read was I had this old book of quotations. It was like a Collins concise dictionary of quotations. And yeah. just like concentrating on the line was quite hard because I had like full-blown panic disorder and I you know my head was at 10,000 miles an hour yeah. okay. but that that was sort of like a a gym for the mind because mm-hmm. I was sort of like focusing on each sentence and I know people get really snobby about um, <laughs> inspirational quotes and stuff yeah but for me a nice little I know you love me you're, you're well into it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I was yeah well a little bit of optimism just at the right time if it's authentic mm-hmm. if it's from a real place mm-hmm. 
definitely can change your perspective on stuff. So at what point were you then able to read entire novels? I was reading like, because I was back in, um, I was back in my childhood bedroom, so a lot of the books I had were like children's books, mm. like really children's books, like Winnie the Pooh. Mm. So it's almost like learning to read again. And I was reading things, there was a book called The Outsiders, um, which I read. It was things I was very familiar with that I'd read as a uh, teenager or even younger. And I don't know, when you're stuck in a moment in life, when you're in a sort of horrible, traumatic period of your life, you desperately want to read sort of like um, proper stories, you know, capital S with beginnings, middles and ends, you know. And I was, uh, before I'd had my breakdown, I'd become this kind of pretentious reader because at university, um, we're almost taught to be like suspicious of like story and pop and those old fashioned things and all I wanted then was almost like these children's books of like characters changing because when you're stuck in a moment you want a character to change or transform because you want to believe in change for yourself so it becomes almost like a religion of story yeah. and so yeah it was a lot of, lot of kids books um, I was I was a bit of a mess for a few years I was full blown agoraphobic so even leaving the house wasn't that good we're in a, a sort of small town which culturally was sort of dead we had no bookshop nothing and I was this agoraphobic person so I was literally stuck with the books I had on my bedroom shelf nice okay so I have a question with regards to how to stop time I read it I think maybe three weeks ago okay and there was a point where you described how the Albers when you've lived for a very long time for our, for our listeners, what are Albers? Matt, oh, okay. Albers? <laughs> Al- Albers is short for albatross. And because in the olden days they basically believed, falsely, that albatrosses were the most long-lived out animals. Mm. Um, it's not actually true. They lived to about 60, 70, like, a bit younger than humans. But, um, yeah, so Albers is the name of people with this made up condition called anageria mm. where you age super slowly so you're not immortal you're going to die but you, it's like you'll have 800 okay. years yeah. I like that so you, but then in an Alba's time there gets to this point where time becomes how do I put it they they, they almost know what's going to happen and um, they have yep. this point where they can see the past but also oh, yeah, can yeah, see yeah. the future know, yes. and so when you said this point I, I was like whoa I like this <laughs> um, I've never been asked about this before but, but this is true. so, so when I, I wanted to ask yeah. how did you get that concept because I thought that was a little profound in a way because if you live for so long you almost see the t- change in events and the repetition of history yes. and it isn't so out of the world or out of scope for you to kind of preempt what is going to happen to, to other people and to yourself but, so how, how did this concept come I don't come know. To you? I mean, I'm, I'm quite into science. I was someone who's rubbish at science at school, like F and GCSE rubbish, you know, proper rubbish. <laughs> oh, wow. And <laughs> really bad. I think I was an hour late for my science GCSE. <laughs> and I was almost proud of that. I'm not, I'm not science. And, like, um, uh, and then I realised, actually, I am into science. I just had some really not very good science teachers and stuff. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, and, and like, I love the idea that... You know, the whole universe in a grain of sand. If you understand mm. something tiny, like a little, little grain in this table here, you'll understand the whole universe. Yeah. There'll be information in there that can explain everything. And I thought, you know, that's what we do with sort of physical space. But what if, like, you literally take a moment of time and then 
it's a you great can thing, understand, yeah. you know, like because we can't literally see or know the future but if you totally had 100% understanding mm. of any moment you'd probably understand it. all the yeah. moments and if you'd lived for a long time you would have such a different understanding yeah. of time yeah. and um, yeah so it came from that and I feel like also it's a mental ha- illness thing because obviously mental illness is a bad thing and anxiety is a bad thing but there's a moment when you're sort of recovering from anxiety disorder where you feel like more alert and in tune with everything mm. and it's not a t- wholly negative feeling because um, because you know you're on a sort of uphill it's kind of a fragile feeling but you're sort of alert to everything mm. uh, and very alert and I, I, I think I was thinking about that imagining I've never had the actual feeling where I can sort of see into yeah. the future but you know yeah. <laughs> to, it, was to just, actually, it was just described really yeah. well oh, so I was you. like oh that's, that's incredible that whole concept the way you captured oh no I'm really glad you mentioned that no one's yeah. ever mentioned that thank you um so in Notes on a Nervous Planet, you speak a lot about the way we interact and use social media. True. Um, I just wanted to know what you're, like, yeah. for listeners, like, what kind of techniques or things you use to kind of help yourself in social media? Yeah, well, you, I mean, I, I, I suppose I'm a bit of a hypocrite, really, yeah. because um, I use it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm definitely not wagging my fingers and telling anyone off for using social media. There's a million amazing, beautiful, wonderful things about the internet. It's great for um, social causes. It's great. If, I, if I'd been ill in 1999 and I'd have been able to go online and actually find someone... I felt like I was the only person in the world experiencing that thing. It's great for shared experiences. It's great for feeling less alone. I feel like they're about to be blown away. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, October weather. Yeah, and so wonderful things about it, but I think like none of us are, be, are really aware of it as a health issue. Mm. I think it's like ice cream. No one would want to be told, oh, you can't eat ice cream. But we'd kind of know if we sat on a Saturday morning just having ice cream for six hours, just having the Ben and Jerry's, yeah. would be a health consequence. But we sort of scroll through our Instagram and news and Twitter and everything else and emails and messages for hours on end and it doesn't make us feel better at the end of it you know I feel like when I I can use social media in a way that makes me happy where you just sort of go on you tweet something you share something you contact someone and then you sort of walk away but it's that endless scrolling Mm. isn't it and you don't even have purpose you just go on it to scroll yeah and and you can especially on Twitter you can find something to be offended by and have your day ruined within like five minutes yes definitely (laughs) the other day me and Derek were talking and he was like talking about something that had happened and like there was a piece of news that had come from there and I was like I have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) I don't because I log in retweet stuff and log back out yeah no um, so good he was like, oh, it's so annoying because you're not going to have any context for anything that I'm going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't like, have a conversation yeah, here. It's a high level conversation. Exactly. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not on there, you know yeah. what I mean? But I find myself, like, I feel a lot yeah. more happier just, just being able to control what I, in, what I take in and yeah. what I don't take in and obviously noting about who you follow and kind of what you tweet about or yeah. post yeah. on Instagram. Or so you don't need to use any apps for that? That's just the natural thing you can... Yeah, so what I had, what I had to do was it felt like a whole kind of rehab or like process I had to deactivate and then log out I had to deactivate and log out but um, otherwise I had to start managing it myself and figuring yeah. out ways to kind of post things without actually going on yeah. Yeah. so yeah that's why I like Nuts and the Nevers Planet it yeah. was really really oh. insightful um, I want to take it back a bit further than obviously um, um, reasons to stay alive and talk about the humans mm-hmm. so I wanted to ask basically the, there's a lot of insight in humans kind of 
things that you read and you're kind of like, oh yeah, that's very true. Like why, how, how have we never noticed this before? How have we never commented on this before? I want to ask, was that, did that insight come from you being in a bad place at a particular time and it actually having to analyse who yeah. you are and who people are? I think so. Mm. I, think, I think that feeling of, of looking like you're, inverted commas, normally healthy and you're sort of a person in the world, but feeling like there's a whole planet of stuff going on in your mind was definitely, you know, that's definitely a mental illness thing where, you know, it's not... I mean, not in every case. Obviously, there's certain sort of symptoms of mental illness that make you visible or the certain conditions that make you visible. But generally, in my experience, no one would know what was going on inside my head. So you do kind of feel like a bit of an alien because you feel like you're inhabiting a different body because no one, it's like, why can't anyone see this stuff? You know, I mean, I mean, it's such pain and no one can see it. And so there's that, that kind of thing. And although that is horrible to go through, a sort of survival technique to me it was almost like having it's almost like black comedy you know it's like a, a fish out of water sort of like strange um, strangely funny but not in a cheer you up kind of way but because because you're an outsider but no one knows you're an outsider um, there's a lot of sort of comedy there so for instance like at home my mum would be talking about um, uh, I should be talking about losing the car keys or something. And like you'd feel like your head's on fire. And you're thinking, why, why can't you see my, my head's on fire? And you're just talking and worrying about everyday stuff. So that sort of stuff. And, and then you start to, to realise every, everything and everyone seems weird. So you start to see human beings as what we are, as a species. And like, so I was doing like a David Attenborough in my head where, you know, I almost had a narrator about, you know. And so I had the idea for a book where just the most mundane things, like people at home just having breakfast or whatever. Yeah. But seeing it as David Attenborough sees a sea lion. But what, you know, watching yeah. us and watching that perspective. Because I think it's a nice way into a novel when you're sort of like, um, you've got writer's block or something, to imagine being outside yeah. the situation because sometimes if your head's right next to the canvas you can't see it properly so you need to take oh, a big yeah. step back we are actually flying away here God has spoken. open the doors yeah. and, um, yeah, this, might, this is definitely a force 10 force 11 yeah. storm <laughs> yeah Really, really oh, wow. <laughs> thank uh, you so much for coming. Oh, no, thank you. Thanks, guys. Well. I love yeah. your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, anyway, hope you guys enjoyed that. You know, um, you could hear us battling with the wind. <laughs> oh, mm. So, who was next? Um, yeah, so we also spoke to the lovely My Babes. I absolutely love this woman. She's I incredible. love her. She's got such, she's, a, such a good energy. She's oh, so sweet, man. She's just a flower. You know, just strong, proud, beautiful, smells good, calm and everything. So, yeah, we spoke to Ayabami Adebayo, who um, the author of um, Stay, Stay With Me. Um, and she was incredible, as mm -hmm. always. Um, and we also spoke to Dan Evans and they were on a panel together. Um, but let's first hear what my babes had to say. We really pressed her on the books that she was, um, what she's writing next. I was like, sis, you have to, you have to tell us. But yeah, here's what she had to say. 
I was so excited to know that we have Ayobami in the building. Yeah. It's first time I'm meeting yeah. Ayobami because I was working. Yeah. Derek's not with us. And Derek's so. not with us. So we're so, we're so sorry. Like you only get two of us at a time. It's yeah, you don't get the full crew. But anyway, but how are you finding the festival? It's been good. Um, I mean, I had a session with Diana, which was very interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean... A novel, she talks about ordinary people, which I really enjoyed. Um, the writing is really, really gorgeous. Yeah. Um, she's such a lyrical writer. Yeah. So it, it was nice to sort of hear her talk about her process. It's um, like getting a behind the scenes. Mm. I, already, I mean, I always love her. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm. So how have you been since coming on Mostly Lit? What have you been up to? Yeah, what you been, what's been going on? What? Yeah. Oh, let me see. Um... Okay, so um, a number of translations have come out since then. Hmm. So I've been doing a bit of travelling to talk more and more and more about the book. Hmm. And um, I had some time away on a residency at McDowell, which was just amazing. Yeah. Um, six weeks of just writing. Does, does, do those things work for you? Do you find that they're helpful? They're very helpful. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure that they work for everybody, hmm. but for me... It's just divine. Yeah. I mean, I love going away on residences. It's a great excuse to refuse to respond to any email. <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah. I have said Ray, like, oh, there's this residency. Yeah, he's going yeah. to send me I think that would be so peaceful, like, just being mm-hmm. in, a, like, a huge house somewhere in the countryside mm-hmm. with no phone, no internet, just writing and yeah. just being at the peace. The first day, I'll just be anxious. Yeah, I mean, the first few days are terrifying. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like... Yeah, you've been saying to yourself, you know, I'm not writing because I don't have time. Mm. And then now you're here. And you have the time. And you're just like, okay, what if I, <laughs> I can't write? Um, the first few days are terrifying. And then you get used to it. Yeah. And um, the other thing that's great about them is that there are all these brilliant people there, too. Yeah. Like, they're writers, they're painters, and it become very inspiring mm. to listen to them. Um, the ones that... I've really loved. I've been mostly writers. Um, okay, writer residences. Writer yeah. residences. Um, because you have conversations that nobody is really interested in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember one where one of the writers, I think her boyfriend came and had dinner with us one night. And I think we had this very long discussion about adverbs. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's where you can do stuff like this. <laughs> And he was very passionate. And she was saying to her husband, yeah, this is what we do here. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Talking about adverbs. Yeah. I like it. You work all day and then you look forward to this discussion about adverbs this yeah. Okay, so now that we know you're going on writing residencies... What you writing? It means that you're writing something. And, I, you know, if you can't give us everything, that's fine. Oh. We can go with minimum information. Yeah. But it seems like something is in the process. Yeah, it is. Um, so I'm working on a novel. Okay. Exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> it's a novel. Yeah. It's got people in it. Our hands are not that exclusive. Guys, we got really excited for a minute. It's fine. Oh um... What's okay. it about? Uh, I feel like I'm still figuring it out. Mm. And um, the way I write, I start out thinking about one thing and then it just spirals. Yeah. You know, it becomes all these things. Yeah. So it's a process of discovery. Mm-hmm. And right now with this book, 
I feel like I'm halfway through that process. So, um, I suppose right now it's a book about um, the broadest, the broadest it's about life. It's, about <laughs> it's a book about people. It's about people. It's about and, life. And, and living. Oh, actually, is it about? Is it from the perspective of Nigerian people? Yes. Okay. That I can tell you. Yeah. It's a book the same thing. About Nigerians in Nigeria. Uh-huh. Um, okay. I think it's a, it's a book that. If I were to narrow it down right now, I feel like it's a book about Nigeria. Um, okay. In a way that, but I'm also reluctant to say that because Stay with Me started out very political, and then I sort of stripped it away. Mm. But this book feels like it will stay that way. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah we are excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? Okay. Yeah. So. Alright, final thoughts then. But yeah. Michelle Obama is going to be releasing a book very soon, and then it's just one of those iconic. Oh, I about it. That's it. I'm so happy. A generation, yeah. But oh I, so you're excited? Yeah. Really? <laughs> <laughs> what does yes. Michelle Obama mean to you? Oh my god. <laughs> she can't speak. I'm having bad girling right now. I'm actually dead. I mean, like, if I ever met her, I would probably just collapse. I <laughs> like, was just thinking this. Yeah. This, is, this is me with Will Smith. No, <laughs> Brown. I was like, we want her on the show. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? I think I'll just... I'll, I'll retire. I'll stand right... I'll evaporate. <laughs> just but, yeah, I would just collapse. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 But what, what kind of stuff are you looking forward to most oh. within her story? I just want to... I, I just want to know how she does it. Um, what does she mean to me? Um, there's this moment when they were leaving the White House. Yeah. And... <laughs> the Tiffany boxes, or is it the, the, the present part? <laughs> no, I think it was just the way she... She just did not have time for nonsense. <laughs> like, she just did not have the time. Yeah. And, you know, when um, the new guys came in... Yeah. And Obama was still, like, being, the, you know, very nice, very like, yeah. and gracious... And Michelle was just like, let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I have not and I really just loved that. Yeah. That, and then, you know, they get to where we're at, I think, um, the Air Force base where they were going to take off. Mm. And you could see she was different. She was lively. And, she, and I really just respect that about her. Yeah. That she doesn't... And I understand, I mean, it's, it's different personalities. She and her husband are very different people. But, you know, the fact that she was pleasant, but, you know, she really was just like, you know what, I'm done. You need to get on the plane, dude. Let's go. But it's, like, it's not like that like, typical black mom situation. She's like, all right, guys, we can have fun when we get to destination. Yeah. Go, go, yeah. go. All of us, we don't have time for pleasantries. Like. You no, know, she's just, she's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She is amazing, and she is so fully herself. Yeah. And that's the sense I get of her, that she... And, and I, I'm really curious about how she came into that because mm. it's not... I don't think it's as easy a thing to be as it appears. Yeah. And particularly in that kind of very visible position. Yeah. You know. yeah. Okay, um, I just wanted to ask what... Um, what more, what, are, what can we be expecting from you outside of the novels mm. um, in terms of, like, moving forward the next year, the next five years? How have you developed as a writer? Do you feel... Um, and have you reached, I don't know, your writing destination goal? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the goal keeps evolving with each book. Yeah. Um, have I developed? I think so. I think, I think I'm think i definitely a better writer now. 
Oh, oh okay, that's good to know. You can always get better. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I am. Yeah. Um, maybe solely because I cringe at everything I've done before now. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's things I think, oh, that was good. And I'm yeah. thinking, there's other stuff I'm like, really, 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 really. <laughs> <laughs> you know. um, so I, I think just that awareness um, is there yeah. uh, more. And um, also because... I've had the luxury of traveling and talking about the book yeah. and having the chance to just read a lot yeah. um, more than I ever did before. I mean, I always love to read and I was always a big reader, but yeah. this past one year, yeah. I could really curate my reading in a very, very deliberate way. Um, so, uh, what should you expect? I mean, another novel. Um, and there's another project I'm working on. That's uh, confidential. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, something coming. All right. Cool. Well, we'll see. Well, you, Amen. Amen. We'll have you back on the show with oh, the yeah, book. Definitely. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll, and I'll be, I will and, be tweeting her. And we will, and we will all be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of this bitsy bitsy. Yeah. Seventy-five percent thing. Yeah. Okay. But thank anyway, you so much. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you for having us. me. Again. Lovely. Yeah. Catch you soon. And you're amazing. That was hella fun. That was hilarious. Um, I didn't even think I gave Alex time to say anything. I was so enamored. Yeah, I was probably like... Uh, 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 yeah. I was like, listen, you can have your time. And after that, we went and out. Right, like, and Alex is the only one who hasn't met her. Yeah, I was just like... Well, you and I did an episode oh, of I'll Bam I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not. <laughs> Me and her, like, we literally, like, after that talk, we literally spoke for, like, an hour, 45 minutes, just ourselves. Just She was giving me so much writing advice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's like, you know, hit me up. She's, she's like, really yeah, she's like, what are you writing? I will read anything you give me. Just send it over. Yeah. I'm sorry. I love, I love the way she writes, yeah. where she's literally just like, it's a mess when she first writes it. Yeah, and she that's what to, she said to me. She has to beat it into She's shape. like, oh, okay. just write. It's going to be terrible. No, nah, she's really dope. She's really <laughs> yeah, dope. She's, she's walking. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
around. She was so chilled. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but then, yeah, we did speak to Diana Evans about her book, Ordinary People. And mm-hmm. she also spoke about how, you know, how, what her writing process was. Yeah. And it kind of like, how much I think work she this does. whole weekend yeah. was about like beating us into shape about as writers. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing yeah. and kind of emulating what they did. So here's our little chat with Diana Evans. All right, we have Diane Evans here. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Good. How are you finding the festival? It's great. Yeah, I've just done a wonderful event. Yeah. Alex Park and Ayabami Yeah. Yeah. What did you guys talk about on the panel? We talked about our, we talked about our books, Stay With Me and Ordinary People, and, and ideas of motherhood and uh, Nigerian writing, Black British writing, the supernatural, we talked about authorship yeah. and uh, novels and why we write novels. Could you give us a like a background about the book and about what, what it's about and yeah, just for listeners to try and get an idea of where you're coming from? Yeah, Ordinary People is a novel about two couples and it's set in London and it's about the relationships between the couples over one year, which is the year in which Barack Obama was elected president in 2008 um, and then it also includes the death of Michael Jackson and it really just dissects the two different relationships. One is impacted by the birth of a new child and how that creates imbalance and friction between the man and the woman and then the other is impacted by the death of, um, of a parent and, um, and it talks about how that impacts on marriage as well. And where did the idea of the book come from? Was it just based on off of the events of 20, uh, 2008 or were there other things that stimulated and became the emphasis of the story? There are so many things that inspire this story. Um, I, want, I wanted to write a certain kind of book that was about um, contemporary black Londoners and and their everyday ordinary lives and I also wanted to write a portrait of London and and black Londoners within that portrait but I wanted to write about smaller domestic things as well such as um, motherhood and, um, and death and bereavement and relationships between men and women. So um, I also wanted to write about, I, I always tend to include some element of the supernatural in my novel. Well. So that, that comes into the motherhood theme and around the, the change of identity in a woman when she, when she has a child yeah. and impacts on her identity and this idea of two selves. Yeah. Um, and that is dealt with in a what was the hardest thing, I guess, on your end with regards to the writing structure and how you went, how you managed one to write a book? Because I think that's a Because um, I mean, both Alex, yeah, both Alex and I are writers, but we, I'm always struggling with. Okay, like I finally got five thousand words today, guys. Um, so how did you keep that momentum, and how did you like how did you structure yourself and discipline yourself so that you could get to the final end? Well, I always take a very regimental approach yeah. to writing when I'm working on a novel. That's the only way I can do it. You have to have a routine, structured routine in yeah. place. I have to write five days a week, and I have to write about a thousand words a day. Okay. Minimum of six hundred words a day. That's a bad day. A thousand words is a good day. 
and I have to achieve those word, count, word counts every day because that's how you, you maintain a sense of momentum. Yeah. Momentum is really important to, to amassing the word count of yeah. novel. You just, you just have to keep going. Yeah. Um, but it, it does take a long time. It always takes a long time for me. Um, the structure is always the most difficult thing yeah. for me. Yeah. Is it sorry? You know when you the whole when you say a thousand words a yeah. day, does that include, does that just pure writing of a thousand words, or does that do you ever like look over what you wrote yesterday, edit that, and does that include the thousand words? No, it's new fresh words. New fresh yeah, words. But that's in the drafting stage. When I'm editing, it's, it's slightly different. I don't really have a word count to work with yeah. when I'm editing. Yeah. Um, but when I'm drafting, just getting the words out on the page, it has to be a thousand fresh words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but before I start that, I might you know, go over what I wrote yesterday and, and just so that there's a sense of um, cont- continuity yeah. in the writing. Right, okay. Good. What did you... What do you want somebody who has finished reading Ordinary People to come out thinking and come out feeling? Very loaded question. Very loaded question. <laughs> question. Um, well, I think uh, with all my books, I want people to come out feeling um, a connection with the characters mm. and that they've been on a journey with the characters and, um, you know, they've sort of got to know them and and I'd also like the reader to feel a real deep understanding of um, the different psychologies of the men and the women in the book because it was very important to me that I explored those psychologies on an equal footing so I go quite intensely into the male and female minds Um, so yeah I'd like the reader to come away with that sense of empathy with both sides of the story. Mm. Mm. Okay. Nice. Oh wait, we have a final question to ask. Yeah. Um, so, we have, well, I mean, everyone knows now it's out, but um, so Michelle Obama has a book coming out later this year. Um, two questions. What does Michelle Obama mean to you or mean to, I guess, black women? And... Um, what was our next question that we were supposed to ask? Yeah. Was supposed to. <laughs> Just about, um, I guess, if, you're, if you've heard about the book and if you're interested in reading it. Um, Michelle Obama's book? Yeah. yeah. If you're interested in reading it, what is it that you... Is it, is, it's a biography. Her autobiography. Um, I like Michelle Obama because she's... She, she has this incredible power, but an incredible warmth and intimacy at the same time. And she seems to have managed to maintain a sense of who she is um, through her, her her marriage and her power and her status. And um, she seems to be full of goodness. I love that about her. <laughs> All right, good. Well, thank you so much, Diana, for okay. speaking to us. And that was Diane Evans. So yeah. 600 words minimum she does each each, each day, day now. Yeah. But she does a thousand when she's when she's in the writing phase. Crazy. I remember I tried that once. I tried to do a thousand a day. I tried to do a thousand a day before work. It's really hard. Before? Yeah, because I'm a morning person. And I tried to do it six hundred. And that kind of Fuck, yeah. and that helps. work in the evenings. Trying to do or five hundred in the morning, five hundred in the evening. Mm. Oh, I can't that. work in the evenings. But when I'm when I'm vibing, I'm I, I could write like what five thousand in the day. 
I think the most I've ever done is 10,000 in a day. Mm. But I was just in the zone. That was so tiring. Though. Yeah, it was mad. But I then mean, I read it back and I was like, this is trash. <laughs> I had to throw it away. That's the thing. Like, it's just so important just to write and then not edit as you write because that just becomes. Apparently, no. you shouldn't do that. Yeah, I know. I was stuck on this one chapter for months. Every time I'd be like, I'm going to start something new today, like continue writing. Mm. But instead of just continuing where I've left off, I'll start from the beginning just to see where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Before you know it, I'm editing everything. Yeah. And two hours have passed. And I'm yeah. like, oh great, nothing's done. I used to do it as a guy. When I was younger, I used to buy all these little books on how to write a novel and all that. And it was like, they always said, don't write, don't edit as you write. Yeah. It just, it just holds you up. So who do we have next? Um, well, right. So now we have, we spoke to the amazing Laura Freeman. Um, she spoke to us about her latest novel, The Reading Cure, How Books Restored My Appetite. Um, it literally says what it's about on the cover. So essentially, um, Laura talks about how reading helped her um, overcome anorexia. Um, and we just spoke a lot around that and other books that have helped us. And um, I guess the purpose of books in a way. So this is what Laura had to say. How was the panel, Laura? It was excellent, and I think one of the pleasures of doing these events, you're an author, you spend a lot of time on your own, but then you yeah. come here and you meet fellow authors. Uh, I met Matt Haig and Ashley Young and Scarlett Curtis, who is comparing, um, and it's just fascinating to share all your sort of awfully neuroses in the green room beforehand, yeah. and then to chat about books on stage. Does it, does it kind of feel like, you know, some people say, when you're not at work, don't talk about work. And then you're a writer, then you meet writers, then you talk about writing. Does it ever get too much? Do you ever think, okay, I don't want to talk about writing today? No, I think you're desperate for it because actually if you sit alone in your spare room, as I do all day by yourself, um, you're kind of chomping at the bit to talk to others. Uh, my partner sometimes says when he gets home from the office, he'll, he'll look at me and go, you've got that expression on your face. Yeah. And I'll say, oh, what expression? And he says, it's the I've not talked to another human being all day <laughs> expression. Oh, okay. And you do get like that. And so it is really joyous to come here and sort of swap notes. Yeah. <laughs> what is, oh, sorry, what was it about today um, that you, I guess, learned or what are some tips that you got from different writers that you've spoken to throughout the last couple of days and today? I think well, our panel was all about books and mental health and the yeah. books that helped us. And I think what was fascinating is actually how so many different sorts of books, from memoir to self-help to novels to poems to books of quotations, had in different ways for different people, you know, been incredibly comforting, had offered solace. And I think sometimes you can get into this mindset and think, well, the only way to get myself better is to read a sort of 10-point self-help book. And actually, there are all sorts of different ways that literature can be inspiring. Definitely, definitely. Well, do you want to tell us a bit about what your book's about? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. My book is called The Reading Cure, How Books Restored My Appetite. Um, Very interesting title. Yeah, <laughs> I think it sort of speaks to the uh, Cheltenham goer. <laughs> and... Um, and really, it's a, it's a memoir of having been very ill with anorexia as a teenager. Um, but, but really, it's about recovery and it's about the books I read as I was getting better. Mm. Particularly about reading wonderful and very appetizing, tempting descriptions of food on the page and that kind of giving me the courage to try them in real life. What is, I guess, so I find that whenever I go and read books to get better, I, I all of a sudden, I always align books with this medicinal therapy and I guess what always tends to happen to me is when I when I'm feeling okay I go to books and all of a sudden I'm back on, in that melee and that downtrodden so how do you ensure that you're not only reading books just for the sake of I guess getting better because then you might start 
comparing, looking at books as medicine, in a way. I think I was very lucky, in, in a strange roundabout way, not to have done an English literature degree, which lots of writers will have done at right, university. Because yeah. I think lots of people get really ground down by kind of doing theory and sort of beginning to read books only in an analytical way. Yeah. Yeah. And because I did history of art, um, actually when I come to books, it's, it's not as a scholar, it's not as an academic, it's mm. just as a reader. Yeah. Um, so books never have for me that, that sense of obligation or grind or pressure. It's just escapism. Yeah. Um, although, curiously, I had the opposite thing, which was by the end of my degree, I never wanted to see a painting again, and it took me about five years to kind of want to go to a gallery. Did you ever... Did you, so, for example, when, when I'm feeling like low or something, and I think to myself, okay, let me read a book that's going to pick me up. Sometimes a book just makes me feel worse. Did you ever pick up a book and think, this book may help me, and then it just it literally had the reverse effect? We were talking about this a little bit on the panel, and sort of books that... We, we talk about trigger warnings today, and you know, were there books that were triggering for us? Um, I think I, I don't really enjoy books about young women having a terrible time that sort of end in, in sort of despair. Mm. And, and we're talking about Sylvia Plath. I find her rather difficult to kind of cope with. Um, I think some of the Edith Wharton heroines, you know, who have these sort of terrible, long, long, sad yeah. declines and ending in sort of death. Really despise those books. Thomas Hardy yeah. women. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Thomas Hardy, but I remember reading Tess. I was like, oh, gross! It's going to have happy, no. happy ending. It's going to have I happy mean, ending. And until about five pages before the end, I thought she's going to survive. And, no, and, uh, sadly, I'm spoiler alert. But I'm, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she named right. Tess Child Sorrow. Yes, and then the child yes. died a few days. Oh God, it was and just. It, she's a bit relentless. And, I suppose you then maybe have to read Far from the Madding Crowd, which actually does and in a slightly more uplifting way. Uh-huh. But not Jude the Obscure. That's... No. Yeah. no, I don't think I can do something like that. No. So what, what, what books in particular would you say helped you um, in terms of fiction? In terms of fiction, um, I, I loved Dickens. Um, uh, I think because he creates this whole massive world and, and you get so lost in it, um, you know, in this sort of labyrinth of London streets. And sometimes people say to me, well, it's very odd for a former anorexic to be excited by Dickens because, you know, he does big, heavy, uh, masculine meals, you know, pork pies and all the rest of it. Um, and actually, for me, it was the way that food was often just really incidental as part of the plot. And it just explained to me that food was just part of life. It wasn't an enemy. It wasn't something to be fought. It wasn't something to be fearful of. Mm. It was actually, you know, you ate haystacks of buttered toast as, as ballast for an adventure. Yeah. Um, and I think that was immensely appealing. So what are some of the books that you guys actually, when you think about food, what are the ones that you think about the most? Haruki Murakami. He's always writing about food. He describes it so well. Yeah. yeah. Literally every single... It's like a cookbook sometimes. Yeah. Haruki yeah. Murakami. Yeah. And Down and Out in London and Paris. Oh, I've not read that one yet, Although actually. it's really strange, because obviously it's about George Orwell being on the streets. Yeah. Because he's so hungry and he puts an emphasis on the fact that when you're starving and homeless, you think about food non-stop. Mm-hmm. When he describes him just eating things like bread and butter and beans, it's so delicious that for a week afterwards, I was eating bread, butter and beans. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I that do, don't I, come to mind. I do think that one was Harry, it was Harry Potter though, wasn't it? Because yeah, like Christmas the, the Christmas bit, even, yeah. even like the entrance at the, to the Great Hall or yeah. whatever, like it was always it was always about all this food that they're going to have, the chocolate yeah. tarts and all that. I think the tuck trolley on the Hogwarts the Express, yeah. chocolate yeah. frogs from the and pumpkin pasties. Yeah. <laughs> the beginning, it just makes you wonder what kind, of, like what kind of foods they had in that world and all yeah. these different things. But. I think for me it was Great Expectations. They all right. had, had a Christmas lot. Carol as well, because there was that... There's a scene in there with a feast, with a yeah, with the feast. feast and stuff, you know, when it's that Christmas present. Christmas present. Oh, yes, yes, yes. What was it in Great Expectations? It was, that set you off. it was not having the food when 
Pip was still like in the shires I'd say and then when he goes into the city or when he I don't know if they, he ate a lot when he went to see Estella and Havisham um, I remember that they just used to play cards but I know that there was a de- deprivation of food and then there was a lot of food so that made me quite notice the food in Dickens as well and that's one really thing that Dickens does and that stuck with me is a lot of his more malevolent characters withhold food you know the poor Oliver Twist is starved by, by, by the workhouse um, whereas his more benign characters they feed they yeah. host they're generous they're welcoming and that set up for me this this whole whole idea that food was a really positive thing and, and yeah. it hadn't yeah. been that for me for a long time yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about this but what were the kind of triggers that kind of led you into that was it something that you saw was it was it television or? I think I think the origins of these things are always multiple um, okay. I, I had been very unhappy at my, my school. Um, it was a very academic place, huge, huge pressure to do well. Um, I think it was not terribly sisterly school, despite being an all-girls school. Um, very competitive. Um, and I think I was probably quite a shy, introspective child, and it, and it was just a bit of a sort of brutal environment. And perhaps in a smaller school, I might have done better. Um, and I think sometimes anorexia comes about because you can't control your external environment. I couldn't do anything about the school. So you focus on something you can control. Yeah. And in my case, that was food. And, and it became more and more restricted and, and unfortunately spiralled in, in, into illness. I want to. So you, you touched on trigger warnings mm-hmm. um, earlier. I wanted to ask you how you feel about them. Because some people say they're, they're good and people should be told when something could potentially trigger them. But then others say we're kind of like monopolizing people and we're not exposing them to things that they need to get over. I want to know how you feel about it. I think I'm probably with the mollycoddle argument in that um, I think life is full of sad, distressing, tough things. Um, and what literature does is help us understand them and come to terms with them and face them more bravely. Um, I think I, I, I do find it hard reading descriptions of... of, of starvation or hunger um, but I think in some ways it makes you stronger to read them and, and to be able to grapple with them um, and I, I think trying to kind of create a safety net, trying to protect yourself um, actually doesn't make you stronger it makes you weaker. But doesn't for example too much of this almost desensitise you and then you end up walking into horrific situations or horrific texts with the same air as you would if nothing else nothing wrong was happening I get, I mean, my only issue is I get the money coddling, but too much of it will just make it like anything else. And we still need to understand that horrible things are still horrible. I think that's absolutely true. Um, I think I think most people probably have a sense. I mean, if you're going to read a tragedy by Shakespeare, I think you might have to brace yourself yeah. that someone's <laughs> going to be killed and they might be yeah. killed in a gory yeah. way and it might be sad. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's true that sometimes you can read a novel and you're slightly ambushed. Mm. Um, I think you don't expect a particularly horrible, visceral, grisly scene. Or even a film. Or maybe a film. And I think maybe sometimes that's where it comes into it. I remember being distressed seeing the film Requiem for a Dream. Oh, yeah. And, and that's something I wish I could unwatch. I, I really, really wish I had never seen it. I mean, it was Bridge Terabitha. I watched it on the plane. I remember thinking, this is going to be great. And then the character dies and I just... Oh. Yeah. Um, but I still think... I, I suppose sometimes it, it gets... 
it's a way of teaching you where your limits are and yeah. what you're prepared to tolerate and, and what sort of art um, you want to partake in. Yeah. Um, and, and I know now I don't want to watch films about drug addiction and yeah. sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, how is your relationship with food now? How... When do you... Do you yeah, you're smiling now. You see, when you see a huge plate, you're just like, oh my God. It's, um, it's a great deal more positive than it was. Yeah. Um, I eat very widely. I think I'm very lucky that um, I, I mean, I'm going to be married to a man who's got a sort of invincible appetite. Um, and uh, I think he's been a very positive influence on me. And he has this lovely phrase, which is, if you ever say, do you want seconds? He goes, oh, go on then. Yeah. And I think, oh, go on then. It's such a lovely idea, whether it's for seconds or thirds, or whether it's just for life. You know, are you a bit scared of doing something? Oh, go on then, I'll do it anyway. Um, and, um, and I think I, I enjoy food. I take pleasure in cooking. And I'm, I'm well in a way... I never hoped or expected to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to have to round up there. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much for talking to us. So, yeah, that was an interesting chat. So, we're coming to the end of this, but we managed to speak to writer, journalist, and activist uh, Scarlett Curtis about her new book, Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies. It's a book that features a range of incredible women, such as Adwa Aboa and Akila Hughes, on what the F word means to them. What's the F word? Feminism. Feminism. Ah. Um, Family. So it's a dirty word now. Friends. Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is her interview. Hi. We're speaking to Scarlett Curtis. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? We're good, we're good, we're good. How are you finding the festival? I'm loving it. It's really interesting. I think I was here last year as well, and already this year feels really different. I always love it, but mm. there's a lot of young people here now, and a lot of like feminist events and more kind of diverse events, and I'm really loving it. So when you came last year, what? How was it different? Because obviously now your book is out. Yes. So last year, what was it like compared to this one? So last year, I was literally here as a Hillary Clinton fangirl. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. I flew back from New York, mm. uh, basically just to see her, yeah. and cried the whole time, and mm. then bought the same pantsuit that she was wearing You're in the joking. interview. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really weird. It's really surreal to be here, kind of with an actual book instead yeah. of just fanning all over other people with books. Yeah. yeah. What was it like doing that panel with like, your mum and your dad all together? <laughs> that must have been a huge hike. Yeah, it was pretty scary. My mum, was, she wasn't on stage, she was in the audience, but I could hear oh. her. It was quite funny because I could hear her laughing at things no one else was laughing at yeah. because like <laughs> she just got that it was funny. I was good. I was really nervous um, and I think because I felt like I didn't want the audience to feel like they hadn't like got the interview they wanted like yeah. I didn't want them to be like what was the point in that we just saw a father and daughter chatting for yeah. an hour um, but it was good and I felt like I kind of I always like tease my dad a bit about things that I think he's not good at and it was fun to like yeah. be able to chat about that yeah so feminists don't wear pink yes tell us about it um, so the book's called Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies. I keep getting these tweets that are like, oh, your book's called Feminists Don't Wear Pink and you've got pink hair? Like, it's so stupid. Did you not even read the title? <laughs> I'm like, read the, will you read the whole title? Like, it's one sentence. Yeah. Um, it is a collection of essays by 52 young women on what feminism means to them. Uh, all the royalties are going to this amazing charity called Girl Up. And we've actually got loads, four of the Girl Up girls that have written essays for the book, which yeah. are some of my favourite pieces in the book. Um, and I think I've been working for the last like four years in kind of feminist activism and 
different activist causes and I really just wanted, it feels like the feminist movement now is entering this really incredible new phase and I really wanted to create something that just captured all of that. It's definitely not like a how to be a feminist guide or kind of a history of the movement, it's much more like how people feel about it and why you you might want to get involved. And how was it managing that many writers and putting this body of work together? Yeah, it was very stressful. Um, no, also it's like hard because all the like so many people we ask are activists that are like yeah. you know working tirelessly. Like you know, Nimco was in Somaliland, yeah. like Alicia Garza was ever somewhere else. And then you feel really bad being like, um, remember that essay that I asked you to write? Like you're actually behind deadline. Yeah. I know that you're like ending FGM, but it would be really great if you sent it. Um, but no, everyone filed really late, um, and everyone, yeah, me and me and my editor were kind of pretending everyone had sent in their pieces and be like yeah we've got the manuscript it's great and then it wasn't until the last day that we like actually had it all together but it was amazing and it was really fun and everyone something that was really interesting about asking people to do it was everyone you know the book's called Feminists Don't Pink and Other Lies and it's kind of about the lies you've been told about what it means to be a feminist and and, like on the cover it's like silly lies like wear pink have fun wear makeup Um, but everyone we asked to do the book would email back and say I don't think I know enough about feminism to write about this and this is even like people that have dedicated their lives to you know issues to do with women and girls and I think to me that emerges the biggest lie that we've been told is that you almost need like a degree to be a feminist or to have read all these books Mm. or have done all these protests or you know whatever and actually we've really lost the idea that all you need to do is believe men and women should be equal and that's it and then you can learn and you can relearn you can educate yourself but I think that was really interesting so was it what was there a particular goal you had for the book or was it just to raise money for Girl Up yeah, it's like twofold because it's raising money for Girl Up who are helping with like the huge issues like child marriage, girls and education, you know, big, big global things. And I think the other thing was just if anyone reads it who maybe didn't think they're a feminist and then realises that it's something they want to get involved with, especially like I'm really obsessed with teenage girls and like young girls and the force of young girls. And the, I think if you can discover this when you're 13, 14, 15, that's a lifetime of, like, yeah. fighting for women's issues that might be ahead of you. So even if, like, two people read it and change yeah. their mind, yeah. that would be the goal. Has this inspired you to write anything else and anything more? Um, a bit more fiction. Like more fiction, young adult stuff. <laughs> I would love to do that. I think one of the reasons I made this, Anantha, you know, I've been working as a journalist for, like, seven years now, and done various little things but I think I so don't feel ready I didn't when I started this feel ready to like do something all myself and I think just because you're offered something doesn't mean you should necessarily ask especially if you're like from privilege or you know have the family connections I have or whatever so I really wanted to make sure I didn't rush it but I think I would love in the future to try and write something something more we look forward to reading it (laughs) thanks so much guys for joining us thank you thank you So this is it, guys. We had such a great time at the festival. Hope you all enjoyed these behind-the-scenes chats, and we really can't wait to bring you more fun content like this. We had such a great time at the festival, and we hope to go again soon. No, it was lit. It was lit. Yeah. Especially Lenny Henry. Man like Lenny. Shout out to Lenny. Yeah. Sir Lenny. Sir Lenny Hen. Sir Lenny Len. Sir Lenny on the Henny. Lenny on the Henny. Man like Mr. Henry. Lenny Len. Lenny 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 on the Henny. <laughs> <laughs> it was so it was so weird next to him because I used to watch um he's I think it was his first show called Chef. Oh. Do you ever see it? No, I never saw it. I wasn't born. 
you weren't born. Possibly. You, probably not. You were born, just not. But anyway, not Chef, and then um, obviously everyone knows the Lenny Henry show. Yeah. Uh, I do. So it was really surreal. I was trying my best. I was trying not to fanboy. I was just trying to do that. Yeah, bro. I wanted to ask him about his character. Like, you know that... Do you remember Lenny Henry show? Yeah, when, when he was when he was the old Jamaican man and he loved Mrs. Johnson. Of course, I was wanted to ask him about that. Of but course, I never got to ask Mrs. Johnson. <laughs> Mrs. Johnson. Mrs. Johnson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's probably disturbing her life. Anyway, um, sorry. Yeah, but guys, please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to Mostly Lit um, on all the relevant channels because it's really important to us. Helps us get out there. We can talk to more people, get more people reading, get more people engaged, more people of color, more mandem, more black people. Get me more black people. Get me the Muslims. We're trying to talk to everybody. We are here. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Meanwhile, if you want to re-listen back to the show we did with Lenny Henry, make sure you listen back to the Cheltenham episode with him. Um, that's our final thoughts. That's that. Catch you guys next. Thanks time. for listening. See, See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.